Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are, positively different radio. In the morning, you are with Lyle and... Minnie. Minnie. How are you this morning? Oh, I'm pretty swell, ticking along. Yeah, I, um, pretty swell. Yeah, I slept... Oh man, so my alarms are set half an hour apart. I have about eight alarms in the morning. Eight alarms? From about four o'clock. And if I'm like pushing it, my last one is at 6.07, <laughs> which is literally like get up and run out the door. <laughs> but So well, do they all have different sounds so that when you go off, you know how much time you've got left? Nah. Wait, why am I telling you this story? Oh, yeah, because this morning- <laughs> No, you're I telling slept. me this story because you <laughs> regularly tell me- <laughs> on air about your sleeping habits. <laughs> no, but I slept through a solid 20 minute of alarm set. Like I didn't even turn it off. It just kept going. And then my next one, I was like, oh, that must be my five o'clock alarm. No, no, that was my 520. It went at 520 I got up. And you I need to like, program them so they've got different sounds that when you go, when, when, when they go off, it's like, yeah, there goes the, uh, you know, there goes the bell. So that means that I've got 10 minutes to get up. There goes the, the V8. So that means I've got five <laughs> minutes to get up. Nah, I think I'd just probably still push it. No, I do. I don't always sleep in, for the record. Like, sometimes when that four o'clock alarm goes off, I am, in fact, up and awake. Or the five o'clock. I, I just have it. I'm fully a just-in-case girl. I have so many. I have stuff in my car that's for just-in-case. Just in case I need to go camping right now. I have a tent in my car. Just in case. Like, I live for the just-in-case. Okay, so you have a four o'clock alarm yeah. just in case... I don't wait. You might feel like getting up at four o'clock. You know, I have never, ever <laughs> felt like getting up at four o'clock. I like mornings though. I work best Oh, I love mornings, absolutely. Darkness. But still, I've never felt like getting up at four o'clock. <laughs> well, not at the time. At one time up, I'm fine. But you just randomly set an alarm to wake you up. I can't see this being good for your sleeping habits. I don't just, know. Let's talk about right. some weather instead. <laughs> Minnie's other favourite topic. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Let's have some positively different news, Minnie. Yes, I reckon we should. So I know that you're going to tell us about Facebook later, but in this story, Facebook uh, community group furnishes a house for a Brisbane family returning after living in Italy. Um, Basically, they're a young family. They outran COVID-19 last, uh, not last year. As much as they could, they were kind of stuck over there. So Mr. Mirto, Mirto, I don't know. He's originally from Naples and he, he packed up his family's life and moved over there. Uh, they wanted to ensure that their young daughter spent part of their, her life in Italy, just kind of connecting with her family, Absolutely. Um, heritage. I think it's great, Eric, if you have those connections, why not? Becoming fluent in the language. Absolutely. Make the most of it. Yep. And so before they moved, they donated or sold as much as they could because obviously you don't want to leave stuff here. You have to pay for that. They had been living in southern Italy in a medieval village called Sant'Agata de Gotti. That is going to be said mad wrong. I apologise if you're Italian. Um, but yeah, so the pandemic took hold, puts them in strict lockdown. We know Italy was one of those places where you... One of the worst really, hit ones, yep. Yeah, absolutely. So they're in this beautiful little village, but they were locked in for about three months. And so only one person could leave for essentials and police monitored the streets. When restrictions finally relaxed, they knew that their chances to get back to Australia were slim. So they sold most of what they had, bought a motorhome and kind of just travelled around Europe as safely as they could. Nice. 
try to make great, it a great way to deal oh, with COVID. Absolutely. Like, I was like, I support this. But, you know, eventually they, they wanted to get back to Australia. So they do what they can. They try, figure out how to do it. Uh, they do eventually they're able to get back. And we know there's a whole bunch of people who tried to get back who still haven't. So these guys are one who, uh, a family who could, they found the most affordable f- flights that they could. And then were like, okay, how do we, how do we set up our lives again? They were coming back to Brisbane and they just posted on their personal Facebook page, just being like, Hey, does anyone just have just spare things we can just use just for a little while? Um, you know, just a bed or two, you know, that sort of thing. And so that's when Mr. Mirto's friend Naomi Dolan stepped in and she took it upon herself to source basically items for everything that you would have in a house. So she explained the family situation and just had in, in she was inundated with people who wanted to help. And they're like, oh, well, I have a spare laptop. I have a spare, you know, table. I have a spare, just spare everything. And so they came back and their entire family, house that they found was just completely set up and you know they said it even had like a notebook that was like on the side of the computer you know just like the things you'd have if you were living in a home and so you just walk straight in yeah and you're pretty sit down, set yeah <laughs> start doing life away you go and um, they did still go and spend uh sorry not not the family miss Dolan, who was a friend you know they put a lot of effort in even going you know getting the trailer going and picking up things so they really went above and beyond a bit and among the most essential items, there's also, like I said, thoughtful gifts. So for the 11-year-old daughter, she's an avid reader. She reads a book a day, um, and the family friend knew this. So, yeah, so they just got a beautiful bag of these books and just set that up for her, for her age bracket. And I, I would have been stoked. If I was an 11-year-old kid walking yes. in, I would have been like, yeah. Bag full of books. <laughs> Absolutely. And the family was, you know, quite overwhelmed. They're like, we were not expecting. I mean, we're so thankful. It's funny, hey, how you can... You can ask, but don't expect to receive. You know, we yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> hopeful but not expectant. Well, the guys, the kind of thing you'd throw a post up on Facebook, like, yeah, we need a few beds and, and table and stuff like that, and, and yeah. hopefully, you know, some people got some random spare stuff they got laying around the place, and you sort of move in and get started. You don't expect to walk mm. into a fully furnished house, all set up, ready to go, and just um, yeah. And they just said it. It feels odd to receive so much, actually. You know, it's it's a bit overwhelming. You know that you know that they're a special kind of person when they have friends mm. who are like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you can you can tell a lot about a person by the kinds of friends they have. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, in another news story, I actually just thought this was a fully crack up. Uh, it's a good news story. It's positively different. Um, animal loving couple in. Launceston? How do you pronounce that? Launceston. L-O-N. No, it's A-L-A-U. L-O-N. Pronounce it L-O-N and you'll get the right. Lonnie. Just call it Lonnie. Lonnie. Okay. So this couple has put their wedding possibly on hold this year for a pet rat rescue project. Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) Wait a moment. Stop right there. This is supposed to be positively different news, Minnie. It is. Oh, look at you. You are not convinced. No, no. rats are a feral invasive species here in this country. <laughs> yes. But Except the for the native is, rat. But the native rat has been kind of yeah. dominated and overtaken by the European rat. Oh, look, if we really wanted to go down a rant, like I could have a whole thing just on having pets in general. I won't. I'm going to hold back. <laughs> have you seen the mouse plague that is taking place right now? Oh, I hate mice. And rest. You go out west. You go out west and, and and go up near a wheat silo or something like that, and the ground is literally moving. 
I haven't seen a mouse plague That's like that disgusting. since I was a teenager. But the point is this. I think it's still – I can still have full respect for someone who goes, I believe in this enough to make it something I'm willing to be part of and not just tell others that they should do, right? If something's important to you and you do something about it, I would much rather hear about that even if – look at you. Lyle is not agreeing with me at all on this. Not rats. <laughs> Come on, not rats. Okay, if they're a native species mm. that's under threat – for sure, absolutely. I'm, yeah. I'm all with that. But feral, filthy European rats that have invaded our country? Okay, but what would you rather? No, what, just, oh, you would kill them all, wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely, <laughs> in a heartbeat. I was about to say, would you rather? I was like, no, I know what I would rather. What were you going to say, uh, would I rather? Oh, I was just, oh, I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Does I wouldn't it? be opposed if we caught them all and exported them back to Europe. It's like here, take them back. Take them back. We don't want <laughs> Okay, you know what? I'll they might you, not like it very no, much. No, here's what I'll do. I'll jump over. I'll give you a story about an Australian native, which is um, a Brisbane beekeeper has created an editable map to track Af- African tulip trees, which are killing native stingless Australian bees. Is that better? Are we happier? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, the reason- there are probably people who want to hear what... Oh, no, I've moved on. I've moved on. <laughs> because, <laughs> no. You want to know? You can Google it. <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> no, I don't want to know. But I think this is cool because Australian stingless bees, um, they create – so they are stingless but not defenceless uh, because they can also bite. I didn't know that they could bite. Uh, they're very small. I don't know if you guys have seen them. I think they're very cute. I didn't know that they were Australian stingless bees. I just thought there were some – random midgy that flew around and then my sister was like nah that's those are Australian stingless bees I was like oh that's kind of cool but yeah so we know that European bees make their honeycomb out of pure wax whereas native stingless bees make their entire hive out of propolis I just think that's kind of cool out of which propolis okay it's known to be a super good thing for health apparently tastes terrible um but yeah it's really good for you. It has healing compounds in it. I don't know why it just apparently does. But yeah, so this man has been concerned about the fact that this African tulip tree are killing native bees. And obviously- How is the tree killing the bees? Just because of what's in it when, oh. yeah, you know, like bees kill like their pollen and stuff, but it is not doing good. So anyway, he's just doing what he can to make people aware of this tree and where they can find it and so that they can get rid of them because that's- what Now you're talking my language. <laughs> You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so I think we've all been following the debate between the Australian government or the the dispute between the Australian government and Google and Facebook and so Mm. forth, in which the Australian government has basically been saying, look, you guys are providing the news, you are taking all of this uh, material that is being provided by journalists and they're putting a lot of work into it, they deserve royalties for that, you are providing it royalty free, you're not paying for it. Everybody has to pay for, you know, the material they consume and you guys should not be exempt. And so Google came back and basically said, well, if you pass that law, we're going to pull out of Australia. Mm. And which is basically holding Australia to ransom because so much business is done on Google. Um, And Facebook has sort of taken a similar approach. Well, uh, interesting moves overnight. So Facebook is pulling out of news in Australia altogether. So rather than pulling out of Australia, they're pulling out of news. Okay, so Minnie, do you remember this? Do you remember when Facebook used to be all about... Just people, hey? uh, 
social interaction. Mm. Do you remember that? I do. I was pretty late to the train getting Facebook, but I do remember when I first got it after high school. It was, it was, all, it was all sort of, yeah, it, was it was all about I post what I do, I read what other people are doing. Yeah, that was it. Really. And we sort of have a few conversations mm. about, hey, what are you up to at the moment? Yep. I can remember when Facebook was about that. Now Facebook is a political entity where, you know, um, you push your political view, I push my political view or religious view or whatever it might be. That's what Facebook is. That's what it has evolved into. It will be interesting to see how Facebook in Australia evolves with the news pulled out. Mm. That's going to be an interest. Maybe we'll only have foreign news. I'm, I don't even know how that's going to work. I don't have Facebook anymore and I don't miss it at all. But it will be I think, interesting. I think, be honestly, interesting I think it'll be a positive thing. Yeah. I think it'd be a positive thing. Uh, Google, on the other hand, rather than pulling out, has uh, so far has signed multi-million dollar deals with Nine and Seven and West News Corp, uh, etc. So it looks like, well, Australia may have called their bluff. That's good. Yes. Go I, Australia. I think, I think they should to have guys. to. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, I think, uh, yeah, fantastic. Anyway. So the question then that goes through my mind is what does this actually mean for the world and how is it going to affect our world? Mm. So now a precedent has been set in Australia and you can see why they were so vehement about opposing this because once this country's done it, there's going to be other countries are going to go, Wait a minute. You know what? There's some money there that belongs in our economy mm-hmm. and this would be good for our economy if Australia can do it, we can do, which could mean that, well, Google and Facebook and some of these big companies, Twitter and so forth, are going to be reeled in somewhat. I still think that's a good thing. <laughs> ah, yeah, go for it. I, yeah, for sure. But it will be interesting, as you said, to see It will. It will. It'll be interesting to see how it happens. And, um, of course, you know, from a religious perspective, these are areas in which, well, a lot of what I see on Facebook, because, you know, I work in Christian radio and I work in evangelism and so forth, a lot of what I see on radio is, uh, on Facebook, is Christian content. And I'm wondering how much of that is news-based and is actually going to, you know, affect what is going on in the world. And what kind of material we get to see and we get to post and not post and Mm. otherwise. Anyway, another story here. This is coming from the Pew Research Institute in the United States. They've just done a huge amount of research on... um, on African-American churches in America. Mm -hmm. So America is the only country in the world that I know of that I've ever been to where they actually have uh, different churches based on skin Mm colour. Now, there are other countries I've been to where they have, you know, different churches based on language. Yeah. And so if you speak English, you go to an English church. If you speak, you know, some other language, you go to that church. But I've never – America's the only one where they all speak the same language, all the same denomination – but they have, you know, African-American churches and then have churches for everybody else, mm. which is kind of weird yeah. and interesting. But anyway, so they've done a whole bunch of research on African-American churches and I thought that I'd share some of it with you. Um, they interviewed 8,660 African-Americans, one of the largest uh, pieces of research that has um, ever been done. And the majority of African-Americans believe that they should welcome people of all races into their congregations. Hmm. And, and I've experienced that. You know, whenever I've been to the States, you can go to any church, you're going to get welcomed. Yeah. Have, have you ever 
Mm. Yeah. Oh, man, I get my heart's Jesus in African-American church in New Orleans. Of course you did. Yeah. Of course you did. Okay, so but some other interesting uh, research that they came out was uh, their attitudes towards a lot of things that are happening in the world. So, for instance, in uh, attitude towards same-sex marriage was supported by 62% of African-American Roman Catholics, but only 37% of uh, Protestant, African-American Protestants. That's a big gap right mm. there. Particularly when, you know, the Pope doesn't actually support that yet. Yeah, he that's talks what's interesting, it, yeah. But he doesn't support that. Mm. Um, out of African-Americans who attend an African-American church, 67% of them go to a Protestant and 17% are Roman Catholic. Uh, yeah. And then you've got 3% that are Islamic and other religions. You have 3% that are other Christian denominations or Christianish denominations like Jehovah's Witness and so forth. And 3% that are either atheist or agnostic, one of the two. So that was interesting. Mm. Something else that was interesting is that there's a difference between African-Americans who were born in America or who were born in Africa. Oh, yeah, that's a big cultural difference, That's a massive right? cultural difference. And so those born in Africa tend to be more religious and a higher number of Roman Catholics. Well, that surprised me a little yeah, bit, particularly actually. particularly coming from, mm. uh, um, yeah, anyway. Um, let me see here. What was this one? All right, so here's one that I don't know why they asked this question mm-hmm. because they were just finding out the obvious. <laughs> 99% say that they either say or hear amen during a worship service. Who? <laughs> 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 I, I just want to meet the 1%. What, what church is that? Is that one of these churches like, you know, the Society of Friends where you go to church and spend an hour sitting in silence? Oh. You know, I, I don't yeah. know. Anyone who's been to an African-American church knows that, uh, you know, there's a whole lot of that. Uh, going on, seventy-six percent say that they dance while they're in church. Fifty-four percent practice speaking in tongues or go to a church where that is practiced. Right, right. So it's a fairly high level. Uh, now this is an interesting stat: fifty-three percent of Gen Z and millennials go to a non-African American church. Okay. Yep. So the society is changing and moving away from that. Mm. Um. See here, okay, 73% of African Americans believe in evil spirits. I thought that was a bit low. Uh, yeah, interesting. But that compares to 68% of other Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, out of the entire population, 97% of African Americans are Christian or religious, uh, which compares to 90% of uh, the rest of the population. When they're choosing a church, this was interesting as well, 80% uh, look for a church that is welcoming, 77% look for a church that is inspiring, 30% uh, say that teachings, biblical teachings are what they are most interested in looking for. Uh, then you've got other ones here, 63% pray every day. Another one that was interesting, 64% of Democrats go to a black church and only 43% of Republicans. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. If you know the answer. Yes, yeah, so welcome to the show. This is Chuck Hagley. You are Executive Director of Project Patch. We're so glad you could join us. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what this Project 
patch is. And then we're going to go and, and talk about your Life Ready Kids, which is a series that you have started uh, kind of as a, another ministry through that. So yeah, do you just want to give us a little bit of a rundown on who you are and how this came to be and, and what it kind of has involved. Yeah, Project Patch began in 1984, so it's, it's been quite a few years now. And, and at that point, it was begun by a pastor named Tom Sanford, who recognized that there was a lot of teens that were, you know, they're good kids, but they were headed down a bad course. They were making decisions in their lives. They were getting into relationships. They didn't have the support they needed to really break out of some of the, the, the dangerous habits they were in. So Tom started this ministry kind of as this, can we do something about all these teens that are struggling? Mm. And that began in 1984 as, as kind of this this dream and it, it's progressed to the point that we have a licensed and accredited residential program for at-risk teens, you know, a place where boys and girls can come for counseling, for spiritual care, for really helping them not only with education and family relationships, but really this whole way of launching kids from this dangerous course back into something something really healthy. So that's the heart of what we do. Um, we've been at it for a long time and, and it's really the passion of, of restoring these kids that are um, headed down a really destructive, dangerous course. And so then I guess that's where this series that you have, Life Ready Kids, comes in specifically because that's kind of looking at um, teens and youth who have these issues that are more to do with the technology side of society at the moment, right? Yeah, what we discovered through the years, and, and it is interesting that when we started Project Patch, the internet didn't exist. You know, <laughs> these things that we're dealing with, they, they weren't a problem, even though teens have always struggled. But what we noticed as, as the internet became bigger as, as kids had more access to, to some of the stuff that were online, including video games, some of the things developing around social media, and, and really specifically around pornography. We started to see these trends with our kids in which they were medicating their depression, they were medicating their loneliness, they were dealing with their anxiety, um, their insecurity, and they were trying to meet those needs through, through technology. Mm. And so as we started seeing, you know, developing tools for our kids in our youth program, which is a real intensive therapeutic type thing, we, we thought to ourselves, you know, there's so many other kids that are struggling. What would it look like if we developed resources specifically for both parents as they raise kids in this technology age and, and directly for teenagers as they're you know, learning how to live in this world and, and on that off switch. And so can I just ask, you know, some of the things that, you know, maybe included, you've just mentioned, you know, there's social media now, there's video games, there's, you know, pornography itself is a huge, huge area that people are struggling with, both males and females, as you said. Um, mm -hmm. What does this really look like? What are some of the impacts that you've seen that has made you guys kind of go, oh, these are things that we need to have resources for parents? Parents and teens themselves, not the symptoms, but what are the, yeah, what are the impacts that you're seeing of why you yeah, have seen and, that this is so important? And why, why so many times people believe that, you know, technology, this is something they're just, they'll be fine with. It's not going to have lasting negative effects on them, you know, or they think that this is just a phase that the kid's going to go through and, and you know, they'll break out of it. As soon as COVID's over, they won't need their technology as much, or as soon as they get into a, a covenant relationship, they're not going to use pornography. You know, some of these things that, that we've told ourselves for years to avoid the topic have really placed kids, as you mentioned earlier, adults included, into this really dangerous space of having these dependencies, dependencies on, on technology, having these addictions to technology, but really not having an understanding of how to break them. And what happens through these technologies is that they tend to increase loneliness. They tend to increase social anxiety. They tend to increase this this 
depression, the sense of dread. And so rather than alleviating it, it, it's actually causing more and more problems. And what we're seeing from a sexuality standpoint is that it's really attacking the point of being able to be in a covenant sexuality, mm-hmm. having the not only the skill set of communication and trust, but being able to really be comfortable with, with vulnerability, uh, being able to, to de- be dependent on someone else. And so for our side, we're teaching it less of a be scared mentality, but more about what would life be like if you could be in vibrant relationships? What would life be like if you weren't a slave to technology and if you're learning how to be relational so that when you are in that covenant relationship, you'll be able to thrive rather than continue in the secrecy? That's a really beautiful aspect to look at it though, right? Because there's a lot more hope in that than just a, I am enslaved and I can't get out. It's a yes, but what could life be? I think we sometimes need that encouragement. Do you have a main demographic? Like I know you focus a lot on helping teens and youth. What kind of is the youngest age bracket where you've been interacting with kids or that these resources are for? Because obviously we see as things become more and more accessible. So we recorded a 12-part parenting series that was done on off the Gold Coast a couple of years ago. And that series is called Life Ready Kids. And that really focuses mostly on parenting skills. What skills does it take for a parent to communicate with kids about hard topics? You know, what are some of the things that they need to know about technology? What are some of the things they need to know about communication and boundaries? And, And so it's really a parenting course. And what we're teaching parents is that they need to start young. Parents tend to wait and put it off and put it off and put it off or they, they think that one commun- one conversation is going to solve this whole thing. Mm-hmm. That I'm going to have the sex talk and my kids are going to learn everything they need to know about relationships. But we really teach that start young, start age appropriately, really focus on values that drive kids away from these things rather than fear of these things. It's really a, it's a, it's a method and, and so that 12 part series we've made available at LifeReadyKidsTV.com and it's really this website focused on resources for parents because they a lot of parents are fearful but not necessarily effective in helping their kids kids avoid this stuff. Mm. And that's a really important part, right, is education. It's really hard to have those Mm -hmm. hard conversations if you don't know much about it and you don't know how to start having that conversation and you don't know where to go to get those resources. Just to confirm, that's lifereadykidstv.com, is that right? Correct, lifereadykidstv.com. And really these resources that we're developing, the heart of what we have is, you know, what would it look like if parents weren't afraid but instead are equipped yeah. Or at least that they're willing to be in that uncomfortable space with their kids. Because their kids, you know, we're living in an age right now, if a kid wants to know something, they Google it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're yeah. so embarrassing to ask their parents. So they go to Google and, and Google's giving them horrible answers to, especially the questions about being, about sexuality, about relationship and connection. Google just doesn't handle that well, especially about, you know, when kids are feeling insecure, they go to Google and Google just makes them, you know, feel worse about themselves. Not better. And I guess then this is also a really important space for those relationships to grow between parents and their children so that there can be that trust. And so if conversations need to be had in the future, it's not so scary because you're working at building this rapport consistently. Because as you said, you know, even when I was in high school, I remember talking to friends and et cetera. And one thing that we kind of all concluded was that if people, you know, if the adults in our life weren't going to tell us whatever the thing was, it didn't matter what the topic was, we were going to go find out our aunts 
But they, we mm-hmm. weren't always going to find out from the best place. So I think having any sort of resource, and particularly if you have it from a relationship, you know, like a parent who's someone you can trust or should be able to trust, it can just be a bit more healthy for us as society and a family as a whole. Yeah, and part of the resources that we've also created is, is as we, you know, Life Ready Kids sounds really, especially for teenagers, why do I want to go to a website that's a kid-based thing? <laughs> or why do I want to attend a program? Really, that's the start of what we're doing as the Life Ready Kids. But in a lot of ways, what we're trying to do is kick off that conversation with this event that we're having coming up on Friday. This is a conversation piece in which we lead from that talking about something that might be uncomfortable for the parents and, and kids. We put out some reasons why pornography is something that we wouldn't want in their lives. We also put out some reasons of why pornography tends to be a thing that, that people use to self-soothe. And then even more, we use some skills. You know, is it a complete training? Is it a replacement for parent-kid conversations? You know, not at all, but it, it puts the playing field out there as well as gives some things for them to talk about. And that's really our prayer is that this is the beginning rather than a check mark. We have the talk. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> or my yes. kid knows what to do now. Yes, and so that's going to be uh, for New South Wales time, for those who are in uh, this side of Australia. It's 6pm this coming Friday on the 19th of February that that is going to be a free live online meeting, which we'll, again, put up some information about that. Chuck, would you maybe just a little bit more give us some details? This is something that we know these issues are per- pervasive inside and outside of church. How how do you find people respond? Do you feel like that it's something that people don't want to talk about because they feel like they shouldn't be because as Christians, you know, it's like this kind of shameful thing? Is it something that people don't talk about because instead of that fear thing of just we don't know how? Are there kind of main big reasons or is it just a general, just as humans, it just seems a bit tricky and we kind of go, I should just be able to get through it or it's not even a problem? Yeah, you know, there's so many reasons for it. I think one thing that that I think a lot of parents struggle with is that they they maybe not had the level of freedom that they want in this area, mm. or they remember the teen years that they maybe made some mistakes or they made some challenges. And so part of the, the struggle we have is, is, you know, us as human beings, all of us are trying our best, you know, and in the church, we have this perception that I think we try to make it seem like we're all victorious about everything. Yeah. And so we hide anything that's a, that's a struggle. Um, you know, in this presentation, I share my own story and my own story is that I was exposed at a really young age and that did a number on me in, in so many different ways. But one of them that it really did was that I really had this, this conviction that, that God would forgive me, but that it was my responsibility to eradicate this, this sin from my life. Wow. And it's so hard to get to the point that we really teach kids in this blunt, non-shaming way, you know, realizing that a 10-year-old, 8-year-old that was exposed to pornography isn't going to be able to process it well. Even a teenager isn't going to be able to necessarily process because they don't have the full picture of, of what relationships could be. And so part of the church environment is, you know, what does it mean to remain in Christ? You know, what does it mean for him to renew our desires with good things? You know, some of these things that we we just struggle with. And so, you know, part of my ministry is not necessarily to to have an instant solution, but to really guide us toward a place of insight and help. Mm, yeah. And can I ask, with your own journey, how much of that was kind of your personal individual journey and how much were other people a part of that? Like, was it about having a network of people you could have those conversations? Did you really have to go seek out kind of, I don't know, things to help yourself or get out of certain um, environments that would be more likely to put you in a space you didn't want to be? What kind of did that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. I I did seek help 
you know, from a number of people, especially as a team. And much of what I got back was tools for abstinence or just to focus on abstinence. And abstinence is this gut level of how do you stop doing something that's bad. Um, but what I never really received from that experience until I became older, and, and a lot of this was just gleaned, hunted down, you know, and then some of us that God revealed to me as I, as I kept hunting um, was just this idea that, that there's abstinence is focused on the knife edge, but recovery is the step that we take to meeting those needs in healthy ways. Mm. Some of the examples I give during the, the presentation this weekend is really that idea that, you know, when we feel lonely, we can have these big feelings. And a lot of times we end up doing things to deal with our loneliness that don't actually solve that loneliness. You know, it creates more loneliness, whether it's using technology or, you know, there's isolation. There's things that we go through that are what I call non-skillful ways of meeting a need. Mm-hmm. And pornography is a non-skillful way of meeting a need. And so part of what, what God revealed over time is that there's these skillful ways that we can deal with our real needs that we have. And through that process, find amazing freedom. It really does take skillfulness. It takes learning. It takes teaching. And then part of it is with any new skill. Uh, I don't know if you remember, you know, even with Zoom nowadays, with many of us learning that skill over the, yeah. this pandemic, is that at first it was really awkward, but now it feels pretty normal. Yeah, yeah, You know, and with spiritual skills, you have to learn them, you have to practice them, you have to be okay with the fact that you're going to slip up sometimes, you're going to get up again and, and keep using those skills and do the things it takes to, to find freedom. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And, you know, as you said, kind of at the start, COVID has been a really interesting space for us as far as things like that loneliness or these kind of addictions coming out. I mean, I was just talking to a friend yesterday and he was commenting that, because of COVID, he and a bunch of friends just went down the total addiction of video game portal because they couldn't go mm-hmm. hang out and it was that space they could kind of interact. But it meant it got to the point that he was just like, I was just doing that every day. Like I would stay up all night and play and then I slept all day. And it yeah. was kind of an environment we were kind of all pushed into that maybe, you know, maybe people kind of were like exposed to things beforehand. And, you know, I know particularly with pornography, I had a bunch of friends who, you know, for a while, I think it was Pornhub did a a big, this is going to be free. And I, man, it just devastated me how many of my friends were like, oh, did you see this? I was like, no, man, like this is hurting you, you know, but it was so, so accessible, even for the ones who weren't necessarily going looking for it, but they just someone passed the information, you know, that sort of thing. It's just we're in a world where with the technology, it's so easy to find and so easy to, yeah, kind of become enslaved to something you don't even realise. Sometimes it just starts out of curiosity. Sometimes there's that loneliness factor. There's so many factors that go into play. And I love that what um, it sounds like you're going to focus on is what does it look like to have freedom from this? What does it look like to overcome you know, with God, that's not to say, let's mm-hmm. kind of just chuck a blase, oh, yeah, you know, all you need is Jesus and you'll be fine, but that God does want to give us freedom from these things. Yeah, and I appreciate you saying this because there's so much with COVID that, especially you go back to social media and so much of social media is just, I'm fine, I'm happy. <laughs> you know, you're communicating out this stuff, but deep inside, you know, most of us are feeling scared or isolated. And, and a lot of people turn to something that does seem like it meets that need. Some of them are, you know, pornography's got some moral issues with it. Watching Netflix for hours or YouTube might not. But at the same time, when you look at the end of the day, did I need a need or do I feel worse afterwards? Mm. You know, what is happening with my relationships? 
through this process? Am I moving closer to God or away from that? And, and really that, that I think what Satan wants to get us onto is this automatic living in which, you know, we're waiting for this magical moment to appear that everything changes or this magical, you know, person to enter our lives to change everything. And in the meantime, we miss this idea that, you know, our, our role as, as human beings, as, as Christians is that rather than escaping the pain is that we need to, at that moment, realize that there's a signal going off that says this real need needs to get met. Something's going on in my life that hurts, that feels bad, that I don't like. And what am I going to do at this moment? You know, and we might say, oh, you know, that's just a humanistic thing. Um, you know, to me, that's that prayer moment. You know, God, I am at a loss, but right now it hurts. Mm. And can you help me with this hurt in a way that brings glory to you rather than me, um, you know, going into a, a point of, of selfishness or, or, or isolation or broken relationships. Yeah. You know, and, and that's that spiritual walk. That's awesome. So just a reminder for, you know, our listeners, uh, that's, that's going to be happening this Friday night. Um, there is a, you can register for the live Zoom conference. Uh, we'll put up the link, but it's uh, lifereadykidstv.com slash ANZ for Australia and New Zealand. In New South Wales and Victoria, as I said, it's going to be 6 p.m. Queensland, it's going to be 5 p.m. Perth is 3 p.m., but you can log in and watch it later if you need to. And I also believe there's also going to be a bit of a coupon code for the listeners until the end of March to um, – let me just have a quick look at this. That's for kind of online accessibility for the uh, Life Ready Kids program. Is that correct? Yeah, so we have a we have a program there that, that I spoke about with the parents. You know, this is a 12-part video series that yeah. has both study guides, discussion guides to go with it. And so we're making that available, you know, to the listeners. Um, you can actually save about $15 on the shipping charges by, you know, typing in, um, let me just get the code to make sure I get it right, um, Faith FM. Yeah. Um, when you check out, you can put in that Faith FM and, and make a little savings. And really our goal is to get this in your hands. You know, we have so many parents that want resources, and this is one that, you know, partnering together, we've tried to make it an affordable price and, and get it as easy into your hands as possible so you can help your kids um, get the best help that they can get. Oh, that's great. Well, Chuck, we have run out of time, but thank you so much. We're going to put up some more information for our listeners um, and hopefully they can all jump on, um, watch this thing on Friday. I'm intrigued to watch. I'm not a parent, but I just, I like to know these things. I like to (laughs) just keep, just just know about, but yeah, all the best with the ministry as well, just as you guys continue on. Thank you so much. All right. That has been Chuck Hagerly. We're talking about his Life Ready Kids program and we do have a coupon code which he has offered to us for for the program if you want online access. It is lifereadykidstv.com uh, forward slash cart. And the coupon code is just FaithFM if you want access to that online. Thanks what? for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.